Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE Core, for their support of this episode. BQE Core is the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Learn more at bqe.com. So, quick question. Have you ever worked summer hours? Like worked at a place that somehow observed a different working hours than any than the rest of the year during summer? Yes. Huh. I, I'm trying to think. I, it may be my very first job, which was a car wash. <laughs> 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 but professionally, no, I don't think so. Yeah. So, first first job that i had in maryland when we moved here they did observe summer hours so when i came into the firm it was summer hours however because is this an east was, coast thing well okay because, so because the, the reason west coast that, it's always summer <laughs> i was gonna say so the, the well the reason i bring it up is because as we're moving into the next phase of the project i'm working on we're starting to set up internal coordination meetings with our engineers and everything else and they're just like, don't forget, we are on summer hours. You're like, and, and like, you got out your pen and paper. You're like, what's what, yeah. what firm? What what's the yeah. name of this? How do Ex- I apply? Exactly. <laughs> you know, so so it's either, you know, they work. I'm sorry, we observe architecture hours, which is you just work all the time. Exactly. <laughs> so so I actually had put into our Zoom chat with with all of the PAs on the project. As we're setting up all of these meetings, you know, make sure you guys stay away from setting anything up with our engineering team on Fridays. And they're like, well, why? I'm like, well, they're, you know, observing summer hours. Everybody knows nothing happens on Fridays anyway. Yeah. Jeez, come on, people. Well, they're, they're still working their 40. It's, they're either going to do four days of 10 hours or they're going to do four days of nine hours and then leave um, at noon on Friday. And you know, then, then one of the PAs spoke up and she's like, oh, my husband's firm, they do the same thing. And, and so we're, we're like, like, this is a thing. I was was just like, well, you know, I mean, you know, we are an ESOP. So, you know, we are co-owners of the firm. So we could decide this, (laughs) you know, let's, uh, let's start a revolution. Yeah. That's how (laughs) ESOP work. I mean, that's how we solve everything, right? Right. Revolutions. But, you know, so it's just like, well, you know, I mean, that is a, a welcome relief to what we do, which is five days of 16 hours or seven days or seven days of 15 hours. And they're like, wait, that math doesn't work up, work out. I'm like, does the math on this project work out? No, it doesn't cleanly divide. Yeah. No. Jeez. <clears throat> I do know of a company. I think it's, um, I, I'm just trying, I know of a company <laughs> specifically, which company I'm pretty sure it's uh, Basecamp slash 37 Signals. They're a Chicago-based firm that does, they, they build software, software as a service. And I do believe that they observe summer hours as well, just as kind of a normal thing. But they don't divide by 40 still. They actually just give everybody an extra day off per week in the summer. You know, and that's like a start date and an end date. So it's really clear about it. But still, I thought, because it's like in Chicago, the weather's nice, 
you should not be at work all the time uh, when the weather's nice because the weather sucks the other time and we will be working then. Right. So I just thought that was, you know, it, it made sense geographically for sure for them, but I think it also made sense for them as a company just to prevent burnout, things like that. The funny thing is, is that, you know, it was being initiated by our engineering team and the particular uh, project director who's in Chicago. <laughs> so oh, really? Maybe, there you maybe, go. You know, maybe there's a thing there. That maybe much, Chicago that just wants to get out and enjoy the sun because they don't thing. see it all the time. Yeah, exactly. That's what that, it's exactly. It. It's got to be wicked cold there in the winter. And I, I did talk to somebody in Chicago a few months ago and it's like, how's the, how's the weather? Right. The small talk. And it's like, you don't want to know. Like, like, don't ask. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, bone cold. Like <laughs> yeah. what, what do you expect to hear? I don't well, know. You know, and in, in, I didn't necessarily mean for the topic to kind of take this route, but as we're starting to evolve into flexible working situations where we're either remote or we're flex where we're in the office sometimes and at, you know, working from home or somewhere else, you know, at, on other times of the week that really, if if is you know, you and I have talked about in the past, we're only holding people to, you know, the 40 hours, which is Heck, I could get 40 hours done in two days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so obviously we know that our work week is not going to be done in two days. Although I have been pretty well done with a work week in two days. Yeah, right. Right. Depends so how you look at it, right? <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I, I do see that there is going to be some flexibility to be able to kind of implement, you know, almost a work at your own pace. You know, you're required to do 40, you're required to do X amount. And all of this actually came about because right now what we're doing is we've got this phase is 20 weeks. And so we're starting to plan out the first 25% of, you know, what um, creating milestones and assignments of work that we need to get done by X amount of time to make sure that we're going to be able to meet the end deadline of, you know, the 100% um, deliverables. And so there's some really like front end loaded heavy lists that, you know, then start to taper off as we get close to like, say the 25% and then the 50% and things like that. That's so that's not how it works. Well, <laughs> it, it, that's it, when you it, start it, throwing more bodies. At and well, <laughs> overworking because no, of these of are, the technical debt you've accrued on the way there. <laughs> well, that's true. Let, let me at least kind of clarify it a little bit is, is that when I say, it's front loaded. It, it means that there's some, there were some outstanding decisions that though we have a something already kind of in place to like solve a design solution, we haven't had, um, you know, final approval on it. And so there's a whole list of like, you know, we still have to get approval for, you know, this, 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 and this, you know, before we can really start to implement it in the model so that then we can start to detail it. So there's just this, diminishing level of get these answers so we can, you know, move on to this. And then, you know, once we move on to this, you know, we're going to have other ones, but they're going to be more detailed oriented, documentation oriented, instead of like still waiting for a decision from the client, whether or not they want to do this. So that that's more of, you know, what I meant, but, but anyway, but still, and so, you know, we were looking at it and it's just like, you know, wow, we got a lot of stuff to do. And as we're sitting here having this conversation about summer hours, you know, they're just like, Oh, well, I just, I just finished my uh, work plan for week one. It's not 40 hours. <laughs> it's not summer hours. Yeah. Yeah, of course. 
because there's too much to do. There's always too much to do. Always too much to do. I'm just thinking like if a, if a student is listening to this and what, how, you know, you just said this phase of your project is 20 weeks. And like, that's when I was in school, that was like a quarter. It was actually, that's a little longer than a quarter. And that was all the time we got to do the whole thing. Right. And so this is a phase of the project. You're talking about lots of people on multiple teams with multiple approvals needed. And, oh, it's just, it just sounds like a hairy, hairy thing, right? It's like, there is so much to do there. You have all these, it's heavy loaded up front. You got lots of checklists. You got all these requirements that you have to meet so that you can submit at the end and, right, get sign off to move on to either the next phase or get payment or all of those things. It just, there's so much going on there. It just makes me think this, this, I guess this ties into our, our main topic, which is like architecture is hard. <laughs> there's so much below the surface of the final product. And I think all of any, anybody who makes things knows this kind of inherently and by things, it could be a building, but it could also just be a, like a product. And I think about like, we've talked about this before, right? You got, you got an iPhone in your pocket and all you see is that final thing and you expect it to work a certain way. And, and and it can surprise you, it can delight you, it can piss you off, like all these things. But like all of the stuff that it took to actually make that thing is completely hidden from the majority of people on the planet who are not wired that way. To They, they just buy the thing at the end, right? And I think people do associate architecture with being a thing at the end that either works or doesn't is beautiful is not provides a great experience or doesn't like, right. It doesn't kind of, I'm not really talking about that part of it other than it just being the thing that we use. Architecture is the biggest thing that the most people on the planet use all the time. There is so much that goes into it. And, and as a stupid, silly example, I got a text message from a buddy of mine who was asked to do a retroactive study on a shade structure. And so that means that, a shade structure was built, right? And why are we doing a study of it after it was built? Because complaints that it didn't work. So it turns out that it provides shade 50% for 50% of the area that it's supposed to for one month of the year. And the rest of the year, it just shades the bike storage cage. So this is a school campus. And it's like, this is, this to me is like, I think about what was probably asked, like, hey, can you guys just do this real quick? And there was nobody available to do it. And it probably, because it's a in California, it's a DSA project, what we call a DSA project, which means it has to go through Department of State Architects, which means it's going to take like three years. And it's like a shade structure, really? It's going to take a really long time? Yep, it's going to take a really long time. Let's go with an off-the-shelf one that's like pre-approved right so so there's there's all kinds of things in school architectural projects that are pre-approved because they have been used in so many locations and dsa has seen so many of these things right that yep we know that that already works and we don't need to kind of go over it with a fine-tooth comb like they do with every other aspect of a project um, we can just approve this and it'll get done way faster. Like it'll actually get done over the summer so that when, <laughs> when the shade is needed, ironically, right. But most of the school year in California, like I said, it's in the summer anyway. So it's, it's like, let's get this shade structure up and let's get it in. And then, and then only to find out that like, oh, it doesn't actually 
provide shade, right? <laughs> and I can, and then I, I was like, my question was like, well, who, who did it? Who, it's like two CA guys who are no longer with the company. And I was like, oh man, you, I guarantee you that thing was like drawn in blue beam, right? Cause I was like, how do you, how do you do a shade structure that doesn't provide shade? Well, you don't study the shading number one, because if you studied the shading, you would know like immediately that's like a seriously a 20 minute exercise, most likely in SketchUp or Revit or whatever. <laughs> right. I mean, you start, well, I mean, first you start looking at the placement and the orientation of where it's at. Is any of the adjacent buildings going to provide any shading or is it a standalone thing? And then you just start looking at the ands and the ors and everything else. to just... So, so there's probably no time for any of that. There was probably, you know, no schedule. There was no staffing. There was no like, well, it was like, this is the product we're going to use because it's pre-approved by DSA. I'm making a bunch of assumptions right now. It's like kind of worst case scenario, but it kind of turned out to be the worst case scenario, right? Because it didn't do what it was supposed to do. It just totally reminded me of another shade structure project that I've done. And maybe as I tell this story, you can think about a, a story from your architectural experience that does something that's similar in, in this nature. So I did a shade structure a study for a courtyard of a existing school campus. And, and all of this, the story is to kind of just reinforce that architecture is hard. And this is like the stupidest example, right? Because it's like, well, what do you mean? It's just a shade structure. It's just going to go like out in the middle. It's just going to go over the lunch tables and we're going to be done with it. And okay. First of all, as a designer, you know, that it's not just a shade structure, right? It's a very unique boutique it's got to do it's got to look good it's got to be all the things it's got to perform it's right i'm just just channeling my inner designer here because that's what i did and and it so yeah okay i build a 3d model of it real quick of of some different options different areas and and one one of the things i told my buddy was like you know that that shade structure probably needed to be five times the size that it was supposed to be to provide the shade right because it doesn't make sense to like buy a little shade structure and move it 20 feet away from the tables so that it actually shades the tables, right? Because that's kind of what would, if, if, if it was like a hundred percent footprint of tables that it needs to shade and you put it directly above, well, yeah, like on June 21st at noon, it's going to work, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> It's going to work for that one hour of that one right. month. Right. So they do, they need to be big. And, and is there a budget for big? Probably not. Right. So like, there, there's so many things kind of playing at, at this because, you know, talk about cost for a moment, like these shade structures, these pre-approved shade structures, like you would think, yeah, I can go to Home Depot and build something for my house over the weekend. It's going to cost me like 300 bucks. Like seriously, we're talking like 50 grand plus the install plus shutting down a piece of your campus for a few months. And, and all of this stuff plays into that, right? It's, it's pretty insane. Like the actual costs and the, and the things that have to be done to make it sure it happens. So back to my design story here. So as I'm kind of doing these studies and I, you know, it's like, okay, this turns into like a multiple page PDF because we're going to go talk to the principal at the campus and see what, what works for them, what doesn't, because it, it included kind of this grassy area update as well, because they wanted to hold like outdoor events, like graduation and stuff. And seriously, like the courtyard is completely oriented the wrong direction for so so like you know how normally if you have like an outdoor venue and you want to hold a graduation you want the sun to be pointing at the person doing the presenting 
not the other way around, right? Because like you want the sun at the backs of the audience, like here where I'm talking about, it would, it would just be brutal anyway. I don't know why they would want to do an outdoor event, but they couldn't fit the whole campus in, in their auditorium. So this is one of the reasons why. So yet another constraint on the system here. And completely aimed the wrong way. It's kind of a pie shape, not not just like a square courtyard. So don't get the wrong idea. It's like you could do anywhere. No, you can't. Like not with this one. There was like a definite area for a stage and a definite area for the students. And then behind all that was this shade structure to cover kind of an outdoor lunch area, which has it's two things. It's shade, but it's also weather protection. It's it's like water, right? If water is coming straight down, which again, it rarely ever does then it needs to protect the tables because we can't fit everybody inside the multi-purpose room. So we need space out here too for, you know, inclement weather days that still kind of works. And so all of these things are kind of pulling at the design and okay. So we get through like a lot of design stuff and, and figure out the shading and, and do a full sun study, all the different times of the school year and the hours when it would be in use and kind of optimize the, the size and the shape of the shade structure for that stuff. Okay, that that to me is kind of like the bare minimum of what you would need to do to effectively like at least get the idea sold and for people to be comfortable buying off on it. And so it, it kind of baffles me that like a shade structure was actually built that only works one month out of the year. <laughs> and even then, probably only for a couple job uh, hours a day. Anyway, there's there's more to the story, but I just want to kind of pause there and just see if what you've got in this in this arena. <laughs> well, yeah, so because the more to the story issues, you know, I don't know specifically about that particular one, but I kind of have a feeling that the story I'm about to tell is kind of similar. So, so should I finish my story? Cuz I think you you might have some interesting insight into what i'm about to where this story goes that would be surprising for other people because it's completely invisible to most people okay go for it this is crazy all right so this school was probably built in the 90s and so i was probably looking at this like five or six years ago and yeah we want to add the shade structure they didn't have the budget to do it when they built the school but they want to add it now Mm -hmm. design this whole thing right and then at some point, somebody did some due diligence. It wasn't me, uh, unfortunately. But it was like, uh, let's take a look at the original submittal. And only to find out, Cormac, that, you know, when you're doing these buildings and you go through the exceptions for occupancy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> side yards, right? It's about side yards. At least here it is. It's about, okay, we've got 30 foot of clear space on this side yard of the building, which allows us an increase in area so that we can pack more kids into this allowable area, right? It's all about occupancy and justifying your design in creative ways because of the code, right? To achieve the goals of the campus. And there was like at least a 30 foot, it might've been bigger side yard right where this shade structure was going to go. It's invisible. Nobody knows that this quote unquote side yard exists because it's, it's just part of the campus. It's just part of the school and you can't build anything there now because of this previously agreed upon by code officials and building departments and all these things to say like yep that's clear clear area there's a fire separation there 
And again, this is like a, an invisible line, right? It's it's like a fault that you walk over and and there's an earthquake one day and it's like, holy crap, I didn't know that there was going to be a chasm here the next day, right? It's like, it's just this invisible thing that they exist all over the place, but we're not aware of them. And so what what do we have to do now? Well, we need to fully sprinkler this uh, shade structure. Not only do we need to fully sprinkler it, we need a water deluge system on this edge of it. Guess what? That project never happened. No shade for you kids. Sorry. You told the principal told us we were getting a shade structure. Like the just the I don't even want to call it political fallout, but just like the lack of <laughs> like you can see architecture is hard, dude. Oh, what or the they or what or what they see is and it's kind of very similar to my story is, but they see that okay, yeah, we had planned to put a shade structure here didn't do it during the initial construction. So right. it wasn't really it would have part, been part of that building. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been part of that building and it would it wouldn't have cost the same amount as what it's costing now. And so now as they're starting to see the cost go up because of it being a retrofit and you know you've got the deluge system, you've got all these other constraints that you've got to kind of hoops that you have to jump through. Now you're actually getting to this like, oh, it's a lot more expensive than that. Dude, it was it wasn't just a lot more <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot, a lot more. Oh my goodness. So, okay. So then you say, okay, well, we still, you know, I had promised a, a shade structure, still need to have a shade structure there. So let it, or you just say, let's build one, but let's put it over there. And you're just like, well, but that doesn't make sense to put it there. Yeah. But, you know, we really do need a shade structure. So let's just put it there. You know, we, we already have specified one. This is what we want. And so let's just put it there. Okay. So you put it there. But it doesn't work because that's exactly where my story was going is. So we were doing, you know, this was like one of the first, this was definitely the first school project that I had ever worked on. And so I was working as a, uh, you know, recent graduate under um, a, a small team. So there was a lot of things that fell on my shoulders, you know, my new shoulders, you know, fresh out of school. And strong, one of them hap- young, strong shoulders. <laughs> and one of them happened to be that the there was a request uh, late in the project, probably about fifty percent CDs, <laughs> to add a large, and we're talking about a large uh, play structure. And this is in um, Saint Petersburg, Florida, so lots of sunshine. But it was to cover over um, 50 percent portion of an outdoor basketball court. And so an outdoor basketball court for this particular school was eight tarmac basketball courts, probably about like half, half court size, but there was eight of them. And so we were to cover four of them because, you know, in the middle of the day when kids are going outside to play basketball or, or, you know, have their PE classes and to do whatever that they're doing, that tarmac is going to warm up to a thousand degrees. Oh man. I'm already thinking of like all of the things that, because I've done gymnasiums and stuff and I'm just thinking like there's so many things running through my mind right now of floating a structure 25 feet above the ground and columns and kids running into columns and having to protect the kids from running into the columns. Oh my, I just, my mind is racing right now. Okay. So think about this because this is what it ended up being is, you know, more of just like one of the really large prefab, you know, warehouse type buildings but just like a, a shelter size, um, you know, it was just like a roof and the steel vents was all it was, but it was really big. And so one of the things that we did was, you know, 
um, you know, because there were some existing trees and, and the existing building that was being renovated and everything else, we did a study to show them exactly the most optimal place for it. And as they're starting to run all of the numbers and everything, you know, they come back and they say, well, what you're proposing is to relocate our, these already existing courts to this side. And you're like, yeah, that's cheaper. And we're like, well, yeah, because overall it's, it's going to be more effective of a playground and, you know, PE space. Plus it'll also tie into all of these multi, you know, purpose fields and stuff that we have. And so it'll kind of consolidate them. So like kids aren't crossing back and forth over parking lots. Now it was staff parking lot, but parking lots to get in between the two different things. And so just consolidating everything to one general play area. Optimization is not in the budget, my friend. Made sense. <laughs> I mean, and so we went through the whole thing. You know, it wasn't as in depth of a solar study, but basically just like plotting out the the orientation, plotting out where we were going to put it, plotting out where all of the shade trees were and everything else. It would have been a pretty effective location for it. But you you, you caught the one thing that, or you, you, had, you had started to catch that one thing, which was... It was replacing existing. So what did they decide to do? They decided to repave the existing courts and put it there. (laughs) And the only time that it is actually in shade, um, because it has a very distinct, you know, north-south orientation, is in the morning time, you know, you're probably covered about 7 a.m. to maybe 11 so for the weekend warriors, it's probably pretty good <laughs> who go use the courts, but not for the actual students who are going so to for school the, yeah, there. Exactly. So for the actual students, oh my gosh, the whole purpose of this shade structure was exactly to was was defeated, you know, from the get go because we did all of this work. Now, also think about the abortive work that we did, that you did, that, you know, this other team did. Yeah, exactly. That That's totally a valid point worth bringing up. It's like, we did all this stuff and it went nowhere or, or they did it wrong. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, you're, you, you probably oh, build, painful. let's just, let's just say you build, you know, 40 hours worth of study and design work and stuff like that. That's, that's literally money that you're never going to get back on the project because they didn't listen to it didn't go anywhere they asked you to study it for for best practices for uh, school safety for whatever i mean they 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 ask you to do things like that and then they don't listen to you when you're actually uh, telling them that this is the way to actually solve it i mean i remember a battle with with another school uh later in my career and and i used that example that i just told you as an example of why we needed to do this, it was because they had the parking lot and the bus drop-off essentially all in the same location. And so people are, there's, there's students walking to, to school because it's a neighborhood school. There are students being dropped off by the bus and there are people, you know, there are students being dropped off by cars, all basically intermixing together. And so they're crossing they're crossing over traffic. They're crossing, you know, in front of cars. They're, I have spent so much time doing this kind of analysis. Exactly. Oh my gosh. And so you, you, you show them, you know, this, this simple changes that you could make. 
I mean, to, in their mind, it's not necessarily simple because it's money out of their pocket. And they're like, well, we already have a bus drop off and that, and it, and, you know, with all of the staff that we have out there, you know, we haven't had any incident. And then I say, yet, and, you know, and you, you know, basically are telling them that, hey, this is something that it's going to come back to haunt you if you don't do this. You know, like the shades, you know, structures that, you know, now they're coming back to the architect and saying, you know, hey, you know, this only shades this space for 50% of the space for one month out of the year. And it's just like, well, if you would have put it where we had told you to put it in the first place, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And who even knows anymore? Because that was 15 years ago by a completely different team and none of those people are around anymore. And none of this is documented very well because we have an archaic system of, you know, we just keep these decisions in email and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. Systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures but you struggle with choosing the systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by an acclaimed architect and business consultant, Douglas Teeger, FAIA, to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Tiger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com slash masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit. And when you visit bqe.com slash masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com slash masterclass. That's bqe.com slash masterclass. And now let's get back to our conversation. I'm glad you brought up the point about getting paid to do this because this is a further zone of projects that is complicated, which is a school campus, a school district, you know, oftentimes there are several firms or maybe it's just one firm or maybe zero firms who are just kind of on call for them to do small projects, right? And there's a short list and, and it's like, you want to be that firm, right? Because that's ongoing work for the same client. And it makes sense because you've adopted their standards and you know all of this stuff and you've got the relationships with the people and 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 so when they call you up and say, hey, can we, we want to do a shade structure and you do all that work and it doesn't go anywhere. And yeah, you don't bill them, which sucks. Like, but but you want the next project with them. Right. And oh, yeah, yeah. Because you're you're hoping, you know, like I, I worked for a firm. We did 
we were the on-call for like, you know, rooftop units and, and roofing and things like that, as well as in the rotation for the big projects. It's like, you know, hey, Evan, you're, you're next in line to do this big revitalization or modernization of, you know, this school. And you was like, okay, I will take these little projects because I know that, you know, eventually when that $25 million, $30 million project is right around the corner, we're up next. Or, you know, we're in the, we're in the, in play for that project. And so you do things like that, but <laughs> those little projects sometimes like, let's take, for instance, this one that you started with, if Evan's firm can't even put a shade structure in the right location, then, you know, how, why would we want him to do, you know, a renovation of a school, even though they don't see that, you know, the decisions were this joint decision. And it was this, you know, monumental like um, task of like we, we, we talked about with like, you know, the deluge system and all this cost and all the logistics and everything else that went into the decision to not put it where it was suggested to go is kind of falls on their shoulders. Of course it does. Yeah. But it's your fault. It's your fault. Yeah, totally. I, I think about like the amount of time that was given in our kind of what I'll just call a shade structure study you know probably took a couple of weeks to do all this stuff just to study you know uh, just just a couple people full-time for for a couple weeks and and how we couldn't bill for that and the perception on the school district side of the amount of effort that that actually takes is probably pretty different than what it actually was right because on their side on the school itself it was just a principal for like one hour twice. Maybe, maybe it was that. Maybe that's the amount of time that she had for us. And so that's kind of the perception of how long it actually took. I think it wasn't like, even with like the 11 by 17 color printout graphics that show the shade studies that you kind of walk through with them and they look at that and they're like, wow, this is pretty, pretty crazy. Like the amount of detail that you're showing here and stuff. It's like, well, yeah, that's kind of what it, you know, that's how, that's what we got to do. And to, to do it right. And even with like that kind of a kind of in the moment acknowledgement of, of the materials that, that are presented, it's just, I don't think that that even makes it in the overall evaluation of what it takes to do a job. It's just like, no, it just took a couple hours. We didn't bill for it and neither did we probably, I mean, it wasn't my job to do this or my role to do this, but it was like, talk about the amount of effort that it actually takes to do this. And not only that, but after it's all over and the decision is made not to move forward with it to say, look, here's what it actually took to do all that. And it was, all, and it's like, this isn't moving forward. We spent all this time that we are not getting compensated for as professionals in this industry. And I, I use this as one small example of something that happens all the time everywhere. Right. Like this is, it's crazy to think about how much time and productivity and income is lost because of these kinds of dead end projects that happen all the time everywhere. And people don't even talk about it. Not only do we talk about it internally, we don't talk about it externally either, right? Like help that client understand that we're going to chalk this one up to like good, good faith that other projects are coming and that we went above and beyond to do this. Here's the value of the service we just gave you. We don't even do that. 
we, the royal we, don't do that. It's, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who, who do something in that regard to actually do that. But I think they're the minority. Man, that's painful. It's just, and, and it's like, you know, my friend who, who got called in to do that, just this kind of retroactive study to, to say, well, you know, well, why is it, why doesn't it work? And it was like obvious in the first five minutes. It's like, yep, bad design, verified. But, 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 you know, because, you know, they're going to be the, the, you know, the client's going to be the first one to say, well, this is errors and omissions from, you know, the architect. And that's when I, you know, kind of go into the reactive, you know, reactionary mode of like, okay, hold on now. Let's who actually made some decisions here? Who who made the decisions? What were the constraints to use this particular shade structure, as well as put it in its location? And you know, because if it was just you know the architect making the decision, well, then yes, it's it's on them. If it's a couple of CA guys who just want to get out of CA and you know move on to like the next project or whatever, and aren't traditionally designers or they skip the steps of doing all of the actual like you know preliminary work of designing it and in you know doing the studies right okay then yeah it's on them but i mean i'm sure that i'm sure right there the thing was like we don't we're not interested in figuring that part out whose fault it is because it's it looks bad either way if it's a school they're not going to want to hear that if it's us we're not going to want to let them know (laughs) what a mess what a mess. And there's bad design like this all over the place. And it's funny, like you think about a school and how, let's just say architecture in, in general, probably 99% of quote unquote architecture does not have an architect's name attached to it. Right. For And that's probably a good thing for in a, in a case like this. That's a great thing. Right. Who do I blame for this crappy design? And the fact of the matter is like, this is a team sport and there are so many people involved Typically, like just coming at it from a design angle, when you're doing the design and you're working with these multi-headed client user groups, those are the people who will never, ever, ever use this facility. Not only are they probably in an administrative role in a different facility across town, of course, they want to do a good job for the people who actually are going to use it, but they don't actually use it themselves or the projects take so long that they've moved on to some other job in some other district and like it's never coming from the actual users. And and then you think about it from a school standpoint, it is going to be around for the next 30, 40, 50 years, right? So you're talking about future people who are not here today having to live with the decisions of those who are at the table right now. I guess it's, it's just, it's because of the permanence of architecture, it, it, it's really difficult to foresee the future. We can't even do it like on a day-to-day basis. Like I can't tell you what's going to happen in three months. It's a, it's a crystal ball, right? But then, but it always defaults back to that very favorite request of mine from a client is to future proof something. Future proof it. Yes. (laughs) School of tomorrow school. I think you brought up in the last episode, like the school of 21st, the learning environment of the 21st century. Yeah. The 21st century school. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Like, Okay, let's everybody go back 10 years. Well, I mean, just, I mean, <laughs> can you, know, you imagine and, yourself 10 years ago having what we have today? No, you well, cannot. Well, just th- think about this. Think about like just libraries from 10 years ago versus now in just the, the change of, you know, having mostly all 
um, physical books. So you need a much larger space to, you know, kind of a 50 50. And so does it then evolve to a hundred percent digital or, or what is the next step? And these are things that we just don't know. I mean, there may be a revolution that says, you know, let's ban all kind of like digital forms of books and we go back to physical books or there could be just the opposite. I mean, in the mode of banning things. Yeah. Uh, schools are in the mode of banning things. So, I mean, it, you know, who knows like what that really means when you say, I want you to future proof something. It is, it's, you know, I've been dealing with people, you know, with these idealized projects, you know, from like, you remember projects that your, your professors, you know, gave you in school. I mean, we had one where we were just, we want to do a digital cafe and we're like, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, like, well, that's, that's what you need to figure out is like, you know, what is, and so, you know, people were doing these, like, meanwhile, you know, they've got a little digital cafe project going on the side. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> probably, it, but it's, you know, it's just like, they have these, like, these, just these questions about, you know, and it's just like, well, you're not thinking hard enough. I mean, you know, do you really think that the, um, a cafe will be like this or that, you know, the digital, you know, like, how are we going to be doing digital in the future and stuff? You know, and I think about it then versus like where we are in reality now. It's like, this was way before the iPhone. This was way before those types of devices like the iPad or things like that, where it was completely changed the game where, you know, we were thinking about these, like, you know, you go into this room and it's this like, you know, digital walls and all this you yeah know, it's, it's it's big screens and, and giant crt monitors <laughs> right and you know and it's just all of this other stuff and it's none of that it's you know like currently right now a digital cafe is a cafe with chairs and plugs <laughs> that's it you know and wi-fi i mean that's literally it they're just could, could you just imagine if i proposed the future proof of a of a cafe back then to look like one now they would have been like you fail you know you, you're just not thinking far enough you know and it's just like those are the questions that like just frustrate me when people are like you know you need to future proof this it's like all right yeah that's when you just go back to like 1969 and watch 2001 and it's like we actually have devices that were in that movie <laughs> now right <laughs> there's a quote by bill gates that is is interesting to me like thinking about this and it says most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years and that to me like really speaks to kind of the things we're talking about how fast can you do this how much is going to cost i need it right now it's gonna and it's like well it's gonna take this long it's like that that's a long process but then in 10 years like you can't even imagine what that future is going to be you can't even imagine it like school of the future library of the future cafe of the future we have we have no idea. Like if you go back to 2007 when everybody had a flip phone or a candy bar phone and was texting by pushing the number three eight times to get to the character that they needed right in the in the string of characters versus what you had 10 years later. It's insane, right? Like, I, I found my 2007 phone. Did you? Um, just before I got my iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? I was. Mine was a uh, Palm Trio 650. <laughs> you had all the keys. I had all the keys. Yeah, I, I didn't have keyboard. to. Pre- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to press squat. I even had a stylus. Did you have? Did you file down your fingertips to push those tiny buttons? <laughs> oh, God, that <laughs> sucks. Type on that like, little keyboard. <laughs> big meaty hands, and you're just like. 
<laughs> Damn it. That's not what I meant. Right. <laughs> the delete key, like the, the, the little, uh, you know, indicator on it's worn off because you use it so much. <laughs> That's right. I, I, you know, that I do the, the ACE mentoring program with high schoolers and, and so at the end of the year celebration, we were all just kind of like sitting around. And of course, I'm I, I'm sitting with all of the students and I look over and every single one of them are having a conversation with each other that they're sitting right next to on their phone. And they were just, just like, well, you know, so I pulled up a picture because I had just found it. And so I had taken a picture of it. I don't remember I sent it to you or whatever, but um I, I had a picture of the Palm Trio. I was just like, this is what I had just before the iPhone. And the look on their face was just like, <gasps> like sh- shock and awe that it was just like, how did you do anything that with a that? device like, like that actually existed? Yeah. Right. What are you talk about, man? It looks like, it looks like a TV remote control from the, from, you know, yeah. but actually, I guess from today, <laughs> but <laughs> all the buttons, but, but back to your point of like this vision of, you know, one year versus 10 year and bringing it back to kind of like the, the architectural thing, you know, we have this conversation with the clients. It's just like, okay, you know, here's your big picture idea of everything that you want in this school right now. But then you start to like, you know, look at it with your budget. And then you start to realize it's like, okay, well, I can't afford this. I can't afford this. Can't afford this if I want this, this, and this. So let's let's go ahead and do a hundred percent CDs on everything, including all of the things that we can't afford. But then, you know, Mr. Contractor, let's do a line item for those that, you know, those are future. And then they, then when the future does come, when you do want things like that, people are a bit shocked that one, the contractor can't hold that price that they gave them 10 years ago, you know, because it's been 10 years. Um, those are the things that the conversations that we have with people about, you know, this whole future proofing of things. It's just like, you know, you do it now, it's going to be X. You do it then, it's going to be Y. And Y is going to be a whole lot more expensive. There's multiple layers involved with Y. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> because it come, becomes a separate project, it becomes all of this. And just like, there's so many, like, you know, and you sit down and you tell them that. And they're like, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're still getting one ear out the other, right? Exactly. Not, not my problem yeah. in X number of years anymore. That That's another issue. I mean, that, oh my gosh. Yeah. Do you know how many times I've heard the, well, I'll be retired. By yes. Now. Oh, and that is a brutal, <laughs> brutally honest. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, out. Yeah. I don't care because I won't be around for when that, you know, comes around. I had, I had a client on a project or one of my one of my more recent projects who was the dean of the programs that were going to be included in this project who was retiring like a month before the building opened literally retiring like after this you know been fighting for basically decades to get this building built on the campus at this community college and was so upset i mean not not like outwardly upset but you could just tell of the disappointment of not getting to enjoy this amazing thing that actually happened with the faculty and the students who had been working on this for so long and getting to see the people who actually used it light up because it was such a such an amazing thing that actually happened on this campus and and it was just like this it's like you design the administration suite and it's like this is this is Jeff's office, right? Right here. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Never got to be in it. We had the similar thing with a project that, you know, this principal had been there for 12 years and 
been single-handedly responsible for pushing the modernization of this project. So this is a, you know, a project that was basically a cobbled together school of a building that was, you know, first built in, you know, 1894 and then added on in 1898, then added on in 1930, then added on again and again and again. And it was just this cobbled up mess. She had fought for a modernization of the project so that, you know, basically she could have one big cohesive school. And even on the, you, you said, you know, like, even the admin office was designed basically for her. And so we finally go, we finally, she finally, you know, wins the battle to get this, you know, project going um, through, you know, like campaigns with her parents, with, you know, all sorts of different things. She was originally hired because it was a low performing school and she brought it up to a high performing school. And so single-handedly, no less. Well, I mean, as, as, as an administrator being able to like, you know, facilitate, facilitate, you know, the hiring of the right people and, you know, petitioning for funding for programs that the school needed and actually successfully getting them. So we had finally finished the design and we broke ground. She about 50% through the project got transferred to another low performing school to basically have her, you know, work her magic to that one. To be play yeah. clean up again. Oh my goodness. Exactly. Jeez. And so she's so good at it. Her school was basically like that she had fought so hard for. I, I mean, I, I can't, ex- I mean, I'm sure you've, it sounded like you ex- ex- have experienced this, but it was her school. It was designed. I mean, she had, she was in her, on her every fingerprints design were all game. over it. Right. Exactly. Right. She had a, she had a, a contingent of, of, you know, teachers and administrators and her, and they were all actively involved with decision-making and stuff, which was actually really good because it was one of my, you know, all-time favorite projects only because it was inclusive of the actual administrative and, you know, teaching staff, which is, you know, sometimes rare when you're, you know, dealing with um, those because they're like, oh yeah, we, we don't we don't really care what the teacher says. We just want to get you know, this, this project done. So, you know, this is it, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, that really kind of sucked that, you know, she had, had done that, but, you know, fast forward to another project that is one of my more recent projects where we had a, a roadblock of a, you know, an administrator, a, a campus architect, whatever you want to call them that, you know, was, was always pushing, their own opinion on things to do because, you know, they were an architect. So, but, but wouldn't listen to kind of some reason or rationales of things. And so there was a lot of things that we probably didn't quite agree with on the project, but we're still in the project. And right as the project commences with construction, they retire. (laughs) Can you have done done this favor like, you know, a year ago or two years ago? All these moving parts, right? It, it is interesting to kind of think about it from a leadership standpoint of how the projects that are meaningful, that truly make a difference, are not going to be for you. They're going to be for the generations that follow you. That, I wish, was a more pervasive thought process in architecture itself, like to work on itself. That, to me, is is where... I think a lot of us fall short. A lot of the profession falls short right there. It's all about us right now. It's all about us. Yeah. 
one of my favorite things about that one project um, that I did that was kind of inclusive of teaching and staff was at the time they were second graders. And so as we, you know, we're, we had created like, you know, our, our walk, you know, our digital walkthroughs and, you know, all of our renderings and everything else. I had, you know, taken photographs of the fifth grade classrooms um, that we were, that we currently had. And, you know, at the time during the design process and then kind of included the second graders, because once everything was done, as long as it went on schedule, they would be fifth graders once the school reopened. And so I kind of just included them in, you know, the, the process of, you know, not necessarily design because then, you know, I would have a chocolate fountain and a swimming pool and all these other things in the classroom, but at least, you know, just kind of like talk to them. Oh, it just reminds you me know. of my kids. My son wanted a hot dog tree. Like. There you go. <laughs> um, things like that. But, you know, talking to them about that and, and used to like come in during the process and, and actually meet up with that same class uh, during construction and everything else. And I would always start with, this is the classroom that you guys used to have. And they're like, oh yeah, I remember that. And this is this, and this is that. And then I would show them, you know, like the demolition. Then I would show them in progress and stuff like that. And then, you know, just before the end of the school year, when we were about to turn it, you know, turn it over and start doing the FF&E and all that other stuff during the summer, I, I came back and I showed them the finished ones. And I was just like, in next year, this is going to be your classroom. And so for from second grade to fourth grade, um, for those three years, I showed them the progress of their classroom so that, you know, then on the first day of school, I came back to the fifth grade class and I was like, what do you guys think? You know, like, it's awesome. All those kids were twice as big as they used to be when oh, it started. Heck, absolutely. Yeah, and it was just a, kind of amazing to see them, you know, be able to be a part of the process, which is very, as you know, very, very rare. Yeah, totally. I mean, even even engaging students over and over throughout that process is totally rare right there. Uh, another one of my favorite ones is, you know, just um, you're going to need to pull the plug on me. Yeah, totally. But, uh, <laughs> but it's just that, you know, you, you, I'm sure you've done phased while occupied. Yeah. Brutal. So, brutal. you know, oh, absolutely. But <laughs> what we but what we would do is we would actually put like and made it known to the contractors to keep it all clean. but in many ways of that word but you know basically we cut windows in the partition separating the students to you know the the, the renovation so work. that they could actually see it happen oh yeah Jeez. yeah it was awesome yeah it was great i mean it took a while you know it took a little bit of convincing but from you know between the um, us and the contractor to kind of make sure that the school was okay with knowing that it's safe and all this other stuff and making sure that the the worker the contractors were being professional in there um, uh, on the other side of the screen. Um, but there's been, there was many a times where we would actually have to black out the the screen because kid, kids would be a little too focused on what was going on outside of their world. Oh, heaven forbid they actually watch what was going on out there and it didn't just magically appear one day. Well, I mean, but think about this. I mean, you know, things like that actually give students who, who may have not thought about doing a project, you know, or a profession like that. Yeah, totally. Totally. You know, it it literally gives them a window into the, you know, that world. Uh, So anyway, sweet dad joke to end it right there. I know. Right. So, so Cormac, what is architecture? 
It's hard. Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE Core, for their support of this podcast episode. Visit bqe.com slash masterclass to register for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Talk to you soon.